Welcome everyone to Learning with Elvista Studios. This is our podcast is about opportunities to speak with people that are inspiring us or we're curious about and we want to learn more to help ourselves be better or we see an advantage for you guys as our community to learn from this person as well. And I'm so excited because today's guest is Anyetta and why you should be excited too is about a year ago, Anyetta undertook our human-centered design cohort. Um, you're an instructional designer, you came through that, you already were thinking human-centered and you got that and appreciated. And I think it just kind of was like, oh, other people think like me and want to solve problems from a learner perspective, not just what our stakeholders tell us we should be creating training about. So um, first of all, I want to just recognize you for that because I know that your decisions and choices as an instructional designer and the training solutions that you work on and create put emphasis and I know you're really strong on your boundaries around working on projects that only allow you to come from a learner or a human-centered perspective and I think that's to be commended so well done for that um, and you've really embraced human-centered design to a point of you're freelancing and consulting as a result of knowing that you only want to work on projects where they care about the humans that they're designing for um, that you are really putting emphasis on impactful solutions and as a result as well like you're really trusting your instructional design process and you're being recognized for that and you're getting feedback from stakeholders that are is telling you, we appreciate you because you take a human-centered approach. We appreciate how this turned into an interactive PDF as opposed to what we thought it might be as this other type of solution. So I think that's some fantastic results and I wanna know how we can get other people there um, and have those results too. So question number one, what, how would you compare non-human-centered uh, instructional design to human-centered instructional design? Well, I have um, obviously had experience in both <laughs> because um, <laughs> um, the it's all about that end product. I feel like... Um, it just hasn't hit the mark when there hasn't been the human-centred design, um, including our the, the people that do the work from the get-go has clearly been, you know, um, the, the success, the ticks for the business um, along the way. When we haven't had those um, people um, that directly access those people and just had the word, oh, this is what they do, um, yeah, we find ourselves in a bit of a mess at the end where you, you're having to change things and um, rework and it's a time-wasting thing, really, for both not just uh, the L&D people, us, it's also the business. Like, um, and that's where I find, that's why I'm so passionate about human-centred design, having the people who know the work in, you know, included in the design. Mm. Yeah. Have you got an example of like those people and a project you might have worked on? Yeah. Um, so I 
we had um, a change in a restructure and a, a way mm. of working. And uh, we, I asked, I said, I am, I really want to have a, a co-design working group. I just, I just called it something like that. Um, and went to the business and said, I need um, a per, two people from each of your areas to come and meet with me once a week for a couple of hours so that we can work on things together, test things, you know, um, share ideas, hear, hear what they have to say. They're the people that do the work. And mm. that was um, amazing and successful in, in that we did that from then on. Like it was just a thing for our projects. Just it was like, who do you want for our SMEs? Um, yeah. So, um, and I think what, what the beauty of it was the sign-off um, the sponsors who were giving these great people to us knew that they could trust that those people were going to be talking the voice for them. So yeah. the training outcome was, you know, as I said, um, a real success. So that was good. That's cool. So, it, yeah, it is a success because they're literally like handing you people for future projects and being like, who do you need? That's incredible. Need? They yeah. saw the value in. Mm -hmm co-creating the solution hmm. in that first time that you said hey can I like speak to people and can I have them involved yeah was there any pushback and how did you manage that um that was the questions we're asking so what, what are you going to do what is it for you know mm. are you going to need their time more than that two hours like it was really good because I was able then to set some boundaries and say okay so we, you know, we want your people for two hours. There'll be no extra work. It's about their brains coming into the room. And um, and and obviously we, we said, you know, they're your voice. They'll they'll get, you know, the, the activities will be relevant to that area, you know, but we need you to give us the right people. Like so we <laughs> so um yeah, so that that I think that was like they thought, right, yeah, cool, actually. And so we we tried to not try to, we were actually saying how it was. Mm. And I don't think they saw it that way. And yeah, it made their sign off so much easier, um, knowing that the people that they'd chosen were in that room. So yeah, yeah. Um, and that I think um, yeah, it's all about time with um, execs and and the like. It's about mm. where how we're adding value. If we yeah, and I think we showed them how they were going to add the value. So hmm. that's really cool. Was there any? Um... What kind of value did you have by having those people? So you've spoken about a couple mm. of things in terms of um, less rework, less um, like it was on point what you needed it to yep. be. What other value insights did you oh. get from them? So just, just like you are in the workplace and you might hear a story from mm. somebody else and, and it just happens to come, it's organically spoken about. It's not something planned. That's the stuff that came out in those two-hour sessions. Like we'd have um, activities where people could, you know, openly speak about things and feel confident that, you know, whatever they said stayed in the room if they needed to as well. Um, so it's just hearing those real-life things that happen. And mm. I wouldn't have heard that if, as a designer, L&D person, we've got our own desk and everything. I don't hear that conversation on the floor. Yeah. So that was, and you get the sense of their, you know what motivates them what challenges them you can see their facial reactions and stuff that that all that when you pose a question to them it's 
that face-to-face real life um, interaction was what I think really um, made it successful. We did try co-design by a survey once and mm. um, and that's only because we had many different types of SMEs that we had to touch and um, it wasn't you know quite as good I felt because it was a time thing they they just did quick answers you couldn't feel the emotion or the motivation or the job yeah so I I think that's a lesson learned that yeah it's the the added value of having the people that real connection um that's what I've learned that's really cool can you remember any specific examples or sorry activities that you were doing with them like in the room yeah yeah so I'm a bit of a color freak so and I love flip charts and sticky notes and lots of stuff yeah. <laughs> so we'd have all um you know um the learning objective type things where you'd have one on a page and you'd, you'd say in a black text to write down the stuff that you do and then in a green texter, write down the resources that you might refer to. Yeah. And then the in a, in a red, just think about, you know, the skills that you might be really wanting to call out. So we get the people to go around the room on the learning objectives and write those sort of things out. And it was interesting to see um, whenever there was a core thing that each of them did from their different areas, they would, you know, underline it so that we could get that core stuff. So there was... It was a great way to kind of, and time effective way to bring, um, you know, each and everybody's viewpoint onto a page and see, and they'll, and they would say, oh, we don't use that resource, you know, and tell us about it. And then they'd tell them about it. And then all of a sudden you've got this resource that could go across the whole lot that didn't know about it. So it was those, uh, you know, findings as well. That was quite exciting. Hmm. That's really cool. So you had your learning objectives up on the wall. It was very specific to what are the actions that people will do, the decisions people will make, the things they might say, the resources they'd use, stories. Yep. And I love the color coding as well. Yeah, that worked Um, really well because when we sent it out, we'd always send it out for them as a thanks for participating. Yeah. And they would always remember those colors they said and they'd write back, oh, you need to add in red this skill or something yeah so we never expected that from them it was always you know you don't have to do any other work and we'd send it out just to say I think it's nice for them to see how it's growing Mm. um and then um yeah so we did end up we ended up having a bit of a routine for them as well so they knew exactly what to expect when they came Mm. in the room so we'd always kick it off with um the first session getting to know and doing activity but the following week, we'd come back and actually test an activity so that, or an idea that they had from the previous week. So they knew they were coming into the room and getting to have a go at whatever they, and giving us feedback. And then the second part of the session would be then more information gathering or, or an activity or a persona mm-hmm. or, you know, um, doing all that sort of stuff. But they knew, always knew that they were coming into the session to test something first. And I feel like that was a really good motivator because they could see that they were making a difference. Love that. That is like, yeah, the human-centered approach to get that buy-in is just mm. incredibly impactful. Mm. Yeah, no, um, I, I really, that's how I'd do it moving forward, wouldn't you? Yeah. Was there any other specific activities that you're like, that was so um, 
useful for creating the solution? It, definitely the persona activity, having them all in the room and um, working in their little cohorts at the start. And it's actually interesting to see when they would put them up on the wall, other people's perceptions of that person as well. Like that was, and it would prompt them to be more, more open about themselves then. Like it's, sometimes it's harder to drill in on yourself or your what you do. Other people might see it a bit differently and challenge you. And yeah, and I feel like the personas then gave them a, a deeper, more depth to it where mm. you could make um, the training, like just try to find that, how do you hit a large number of people um, that's still relevant? And yeah, no, I feel like the persona is definitely a great group activity. Yeah. Um, what kind of things do you include in your persona activities? Yeah. So we get them again, flip chart. They're on a wall or on a, on a table wherever they feel comfortable. And it's different, definitely finding out, like, you know, asking them there's all the things that we can't, like insights, challenges, you know, you know, stuff you can share that we, that is not written anywhere. You know, that's what we were trying to, to get out of the people and, you know, or is there something that you use that nobody else does, you know, something you've created even. So there were times their um, resources popped up that some of our people had created. And again, you look and you go, why isn't this for everyone? Like, and of course they're like saying, oh, but it's silly and da, da, da. But, you know, it was ticking all the boxes in that room. Like when we, would have that um, activity and of course that person feels you know wow you know my things are being shared and um yeah so some of those some of our work <laughs> was less than from because we were you know we were actually yeah. finding things that existed that um but it was relevant and targeted and we just you know pretty it up a bit and <laughs> it was what we used so mm. that's so cool yeah any the other UA, activities? I also found oh, yeah that same group um we tested then we gave them the chance to do a uat hmm. that didn't work okay <laughs> because they, were too, <laughs> they were too um invested in it um as in like they already had to go at the activities and gave some feedback and yeah. so i just wanted to add i feel like that's it's when when i now when we test at the end of like we'd say thank you very much do you want to nominate someone to come and test your work so we had a brand new fresh person that was linked to their role same same area that worked because it was a whole new set of eyes and we doubled our advocates <laughs> as well yeah um and yeah so it just and I felt like these guys felt like they're a champion mm. you know the to, to be able to nominate their teammate or whatever to come in and have a go and get ticked off sooner they've done their training you know um as their reward um because it was at good quality I reckon at that point in time because we tested all the way through with the the SMEs so yeah that yeah. would be my only thing reflecting on if you have a co-design group yeah there's a point we need to stop and touch base with the end users again <laughs> mm. What would you? What kind of differences in feedback did you receive when you brought in the new user that the other the people user. were blinded to see? Yeah. Oh, good question. They. So it was more about the activities didn't confuse them. They, you know, like 
it was realistic because we were always trying to find what how do we realistically practice this in yeah. an activity so um yeah and we noticed that um because some of the co-design people would be in the room just to do that observation thing and be yeah. there to answer questions yeah. um so yeah they definitely were able to get in and do the activity the instructions were clear so i knew from an instructional design point of view that was all fine it was the times where there might have been a question that was included that might have taken it off on a different tangent and you didn't mm -hmm. want it wasn't that wasn't intended um, and that's why you needed the SME and you know things like we can't have SMEs all the time <laughs> so um yeah so it was really they found all the sticky bits that our guys thought you know this is all good this is all good you know you get caught up with with that so um yeah I think yeah having that that rawness that coming in and they saw things that we probably you know got excited about and didn't think we had to pull it back down yeah yeah that's cool timing wise too mm. um it used to run on time because it would run on time because the time before that we did it with co-design they would be saying oh I thought we were going to do this and I thought that that was supposed to be for that and mm. they'd get caught up in the actual what it should have could have been whereas yeah. the new baby people just don't know they they're just like oh yeah that's cool that makes sense or that you know ask questions and yeah amazing is there any um activities that you have as a non-negotiable you must do on all projects now moving forward so for example i just think about what you're describing is like such a beautiful and novel opportunity to have people dedicated each week nominated contributing to the solution but not always do we have access and sometimes you might be the only person as the instructional designer creating the solution so are there any activities where you're just like even if it's just me working on this i always do these activities because they're just yeah. that beneficial yeah and um, it is the contact with the SME. I always, um, that's a must for me yep. to make. And the, and the SME has to know the work, like um, do the, know, know or have done the work. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's um, important because, again, um, you could have the most subject matter expert that knows a lot about everything, mm. but all you're trying to teach is or learn is this. And mm. what does that look like? You know, all those sort of questions that the IDs ask. Um, I really believe that if you've got that SME, a really, you know, a SME that knows how it's done, um, that's to me the key thing and the success statement. Oh, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> I know that's a new commuteration <laughs> to my, I have never, I can't believe I've lived without that to me. So, to keep the SMEs in line, which is amazing now. <laughs> um, yeah, I I always kick off the meetings and the the, the, the whatever the project is to get everyone on the same page. I can't emphasize that enough. How I how how much it's helped me be confident and and focused, um, and getting um, the stakeholders on board like that. I just feel like it's an instant connection when you can all work together for something mm. and achieve that at the start 
it's like a tick, you know, like, yes, we've all made our first little step together. And then, yeah, it just goes on from there. So, mm, yeah. so it's definitely the two. If I've got my success, success statement and I know what we're aiming for and what we're all focused on. Um, and then, yeah, my trust, trusted me <laughs> can be one if it has to be. But as long as I've got someone who can tell me the do, yeah, and the why, <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Would you consider your subject matter expert or SME um, the person like that is known as the expert or is it someone that does the job really well or sorry, the training, the, the yeah, task so, really, really well? Who? Yeah, who I, 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 my words are, so what does good look like? And I'd be looking for that person who demonstrates that, you know, mm. what does good look like? Uh, it's not someone who has been in, the industry for 20 years and knows everything like I said like I think they're amazing I think well done but if someone's been there for you know the first two weeks and they've been trained really well and they know what they're doing awesome that's what I want love that yeah um okay yeah let's go on to deeper into the success statement so for you, you described the success statement as um, clarity on what you're trying to achieve. Is that does that yes. resonate as and what it is? To for you? know exactly when we've hit that mark. Like I feel like that will direct us to that. Okay. And how so. what do you do to hold yourself accountable and whoever you're working with to hit that mark? Yeah, it's I I write it on everything. So if <laughs> if we have workshops or if I've sent out an email. Um, to say thanks for coming to the workshop, whatever. Um, I always have that within in it so people can be reminded of what we're trying to achieve. And it's also, I write to it as well. So I'll use the language that comes out of it. Um, so it's not like I'm on repeat, but at least I'm, you know, voicing the same things that we're trying, like, you know, so we've achieved this so far and, yeah, look what's coming. And then, like, yeah, so I just feel like that, it's how I would speak to the people. I feel like that's the language. That's cool. What would you say are the characteristics of a good success statement? Uh, yep. Yeah. Um, it's the, the who, the people. That's what I look for first, obviously, being human. <laughs> uh, there's, I, I'd be looking at what are the, I call them big rocks, little rocks, but it's the um, the critical, like the, the really, um, important things they need to know versus the stuff that's nice to know mm -hmm. so if i so within that statement it has to have like i'd really want to call out the the need to knows in there um, um and some sort of measurement where we can um yeah the people that are actually helping me write it they they yeah i, I feel like they reach for that they want to see that because that that's their success Mm. they need to see something to achieve it hmm. Hmm. I like it so you've got so you're clear on um what success looks like you've worked with SMEs and that to run certain activities which you've described um such as what will people do the personas 
you're testing as you go outside of that room how are you using those activities and the insights that you're gathering such as the stories in that to turn into a solution what's your process yeah um goodness so yeah they're they're horrible looking flip charts with my horrible writing and (laughs) color coding and stuff and I do bring them back to um get them in the way that we can at least have them on file to share to our people as well so then it's yeah I don't know if you call it sense making or whatever but that's when um like I'm looking for you know what are like mapping the learning I guess um what is it that I need to know first before I need to know something else and Mm. you know um so I'm drawing out um you know the I also use format I don't know if that's a common thing but where it's um format if that's just like it literally number four in a MAT yeah Uh, and it's a quadrant where um you're looking for the why what how and what if of learning cool and um so that's probably my go-to to really start disseminating things like to bring it apart pull it apart so why do they need to know this what is it again and how do they do it and then a scenario you know what if they you know don't do it what does it look like the consequence um so I, I would start looking at yeah the big rocks the big key things I need to know and then build around the learning objectives around that usually the learning objectives um paint the picture of an activity as such mm-hmm. so that I that people can go tick I know how to I, I can do that Mm. or find the cluster of learning activity a learning objectives that could be built as a learning so yeah it is jump into design pretty much that's a very agile approach though because you're you're collecting you're creating you're prototyping you're just you're doing like so then you're collecting it's sort of like a I think I've fallen into the SAM SAM version of like a talk addy but do believe I've now mm, <laughs> see the benefit and I think human centered design fits better in that space mm. I want to just go back to I guess back up a level in your yep. process um yes. before you get to the content side of it how do you okay. get to yes. your learning objectives yeah 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 cool um so uh, the, the, what I was talking about having the tasks, so the, the black texture, the green, the red, yeah. you know how we're talking about the tasks, the resources and the stuff. There, that's the information I use to draw out. So what do, what do they need? What are we doing here? What are we trying to learn? And yeah. um, then, um, yeah, literally write those learning objectives, um, make sure that they're right. So I've had a, a guess, you know, going around the room. Yeah. So that's what, what I mean by learning objectives, meaning that's what's been given from the higher level. That's what we yep. believe we need. Now let's work out what we actually need. So that's mm-hmm. that's the learning objective. So before um, that workshop, the learning objectives or performance objectives that we use, if you want to call, because it's more about doing, um, that comes from our sponsors. So what they believe their people need. That's yep. us talking that through and developing it. So. Um, does that help so that's where it, yeah at the higher level they give it to us then we validate it with our um, SMEs yeah and 
if there's any differences, how do you manage that between sponsors that have given you learning objectives and then your people yeah. say, eh, that's not an issue here yeah. or it's a bit different? So the output of that is like a what I call um, like an, a learning overview where you're giving mm. the final learning objectives and approach um, and you talk about, you know, what are the phases you're going to be working through. My most favourite of that part is actually having the outcome. So what are the people going to see or feel or do when mm. it comes to that? So just say if it's an awareness is the top one or something and it's about internal comms doing something. Yeah. So what will I, I will know, da, 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 da. So I, I always like giving them that, you know, what the, the quote of what people will, an outcome statement sort of thing. Um, and I, I feel like that then gets sent to back to the sponsors. And of course they get a feel for, oh, good. My people are going to be saying that. They're going to be doing this. I'm going to see. Um, yeah. Um, that they can see what the approach, you know, that working with the SMEs, go design, da, da, da. Um, yeah, we always go back to make sure that 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 first document is signed off and then we're fine. Mm. We can just move through and trust their their people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cool. So it's basically I just want to summarize it and then mm -hmm. continue on for the yeah, people that are good. following. So you've got your success statement, your learning objectives, these things are approved. You run activities with your SMEs aligned to the learning objectives. Those activities are color-coded. Um, the information in them is color-coded. Your process then is to get that color-coded stuff and slot it and map yep. it against the learning objectives. Yes. yes. And then what do you do? Like how do you turn it into maybe an e-learning or an animation? Yep. So those ideas have already started talking in that first mm. group. They're already saying, oh, this is so cool. We could, we, you know, we really think it needs to have a buddy on the floor. Like it could mm -hmm. be just, you know, or our seniors need job aids or this needs to be an e-learn, you know, like, so you are hearing all these ideas and we capture that. So when it comes back to the, the fact that it's been signed off, it's ready to roll, it's now, yeah, we, um, yeah, if it, if it's an e-learn, um, it's the same sort of thing. Um, going through with the storyboard with ideas of, you know, mapping it out, showing, getting them, you know, helping them talk through a, a logical way. Um, you know, the L&D ideas, obviously we have to do the L&D side of things, but um, their input is just as important, I feel. Um, we keep them on track if they go a bit off <laughs> um yeah but yeah i it's it's the same thing it's just an activity in that workshop where we call it and they say yes or no yeah mm. um so yeah job aids and things like that it, it's obviously including yeah you know people in an organization you might have graphic designers or whatever mm -hmm. um yeah so they would have to come to the meeting to help listen mm -hmm. and go away and yeah so Produce. yeah it's about including the right people at the right time mm, love that and I think for us like our process is very similar to yours um it's definitely resonating I think the only real main difference is um you're in person doing a lot of that stuff uh with the right people I'd say we could probably do better at 
involving those people along the way. We do a lot of stuff internally and only call on people when we really need to. And I think sometimes that's a restriction of potentially um, client availability. Mm -hmm. So we might not have access to them as much as possible, but we're still really strict on, well, let's still do these activities within the team. Mm -hmm. And as a result of like, we kind of mirroring each other's processes for us, we have, um, when we go to write a job aid or we go to write an animation script or something, we kind of just massaging all of the yeah. outputs of the content. We're not having to create it from scratch or go find something on the internet. It's just kind of making a real sentence out of a note or a dot point. Do you find yeah. that as well? Yes, yes, that's, yeah. And I, I just find out our job, ID job, um, easier when you come mm. with that information from your SMEs. Yeah, I, yeah, that's, I can't um, talk highly, more highly about like a task analysis type thing to mm. when you're really wanting to drill down to a process. Um, yeah, we've, um, and that's that black texture, green texture thing where you're trying to highlight, you know, find all those different types of things for the specific task. Yeah. So it is really um, just the task analysis. Like it's kind of, for me, it sounds like action mapping. Yeah, it or is. Or it is like it's an exactly. empty map. Like yes. what yes. are they specifically, if I watch them do it, what exactly yeah. are they doing yes. at each step of the process? Mm -hmm. And get and that's where there's, yeah. And the storytelling when they, hmm. I think sometimes when you get them to tell a story or an example or explain something, yeah, that's where the, all that comes out as well and they because sometimes they don't they find it hard to put the do on a page mm -hmm. or the what I say um yeah <sighs> what have you found are what kind of feedback do you get throughout the process from either because you're co-creating your solution so what kind of feedback do you get from learners uh sponsors or SMEs what kind of feedback like yeah so as in at their and in specific sorry to their involvement in the process yeah nice um uh the the sponsors um yeah no i i mean that that communication is or they, they want to be involved but not involved they want to they want to make sure that everything you've got everything you need and or mm -hmm. you know they're getting what they want to so yeah I'll park that one for a minute first because the learner involvement hmm. you're talking from a post point of view is that when they're actually learning or hmm. is that yeah so um yeah I don't know that's more of I'm lost him <laughs> on that question well it sounds like what you described earlier was that the new users you bring in to test at the end the oh, activities yes. and that that you and the SMEs have been doing they're kind of just like yeah that makes sense they are the learners. Yeah, yeah, yeah that works so they're your learners and then do you get feedback like I guess there's business results that you're trying to achieve yeah, are they being okay. met so um okay but the learners uh for me there would be a learning transfer of some something and mm, so that. they would um have something to take back with them to either practice try you yep. know 
Um, and I know that there's been, you know, the examples of where we started that and then every training thing after that, there was like they were looking for it. So where where's this? Where's our learning transfer? What do we, they wouldn't say learning transfer, but where's our takeaway, they'd say. So mm. like as a joke, or what can we refer to after? So uh, for me, the learner, again, I think I've not answered your question, but um, in the design, I feel like it's important to make sure that they're supported after the fact as well. Um, and nine times out of 10, those co-design, like I said, I call them advocates, but champions or whatever you want to call them. Mm. They, I feel like they own the training themselves. So when people are doing it um, and they all know that they've been nominated and it's known, mm -hmm. they're like a go-to as well. So I feel like that kind of carries on the support. Yeah. Um, so, and yeah, I feel like our L&D can let go of the hands and let them do what they they need to do once they leave mm -hmm. our room because they've got the support there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. cool. When you think about, um, projects you've worked on in the past, like training solutions and stuff. And it might've just been, I don't know, an e-learning module that was 20 minutes or a face-to-face -face workshop or some sort of form, for mm. example. And that was the training event. Mm -hmm. Taking a human-centered approach, how has mm -hmm. that shaped what the training experience turns out to be in the end what kind of components or things make up the learning experience now where it's not just e-learning human-centered mm. approach reveals yes yeah, so, an ecosystem what might yeah. be included in that um again I'm, I'm hope this answers your question but i've, I've oh, got an example sure where, <laughs> <laughs> i've got an example of where the during um there, had, there was a lot of change happening in a business, mm. in one of the businesses, and um, what's called change fatigue and training fatigue, where they kept on having new things thrown at them. Yeah, they were always going into the training room, or they were always going to a team, you know, meeting thing for it, and da da da. So for us, it was about trying to find, um, you know, how can we embed their like practices and everything and use it as part of the learning so mm. and something that they can refer to later so we instead of having um, facilitated um, classrooms where they had to come out off the floor we designed um, a um, in the format way a, a tabular type e-learn where it was using the why what how and what if mm. um, and so the change the bit that was changing was on this e-learn that they could then refer to it later as a job aid one because yep. it was free form you could go through it in any order you liked how best you learned whether it was i want to know the why i want to know the, the what yep. the how whatever and to implement it we would have um there was always team manager type collaboration sessions and we would jump in on one of those and brief them on the this tool that was coming out so that yeah. they could share with their team, this is what's coming out. Let's, mm. you know, so l and I, I, yeah, I just feel like um, that has helped learning go, you know, become part of the team. It's a team-driven thing mm. as well as then an um, on-the-job learning, you know, just-in-time mm -hmm. job reference. And 
of course, when people, something changes, they only need to refer to it a couple of times at the start and then it's gone. It didn't take a lot of time to make this um, little package because we had it as a template. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I think if that's, and it's, it was referring to their business resources. So it was giving them, it was facilitating their learning, pointing them to where to find the resources to help them and yeah. what's changed. And then once that goes away, they would still use the business resources. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. yeah. So it sounds like that particular example is some sort of communication to the learners to let them know that, these resources exist already and here's where you find them. So you weren't well, actually going out. And, or, yeah. yeah. Beautiful. And these are the changes. Yep. That's cool. So communication to resources or the change that's happened. And then they just have built the capability to go look for that themselves and become mm -hmm. self-sufficient. Mm -hmm. And another part of your training experience is to leverage that team environment and engage support. Yeah. Support, yes, yeah, supervisor, yeah. employee yeah. conversations, which is that's right. Pretty effective. Yeah. yeah. So that was a massive change shift um, that I've seen where it wasn't just that coming to the classroom or not wasn't just an e-learn. Mm. It was incorporating the 702010, if you want to call it that. Um, yeah. Love it. Hmm. That's cool. What so it sounds like human-centered design has kind of allowed you to look at solving a more holistic problem where you are considering the on the job application yes. yeah on the job application um the theory side of it and the social learning social learning that's right yeah yeah wow that's cool yeah um what would you your message to people that are not currently taking a human-centered approach to their instructional design um, practice and they're not co-creating solutions with the right people. Hmm. Message. So, um, crack the whip, Anyetta. Yeah, no, I wouldn't want to. <laughs> okay, above the line, below the line, right? Okay. If I wasn't um, doing a human-centered design approach for that, for that yeah. Yeah. I don't think you can blame anyone or have any excuses or you know below the line sort of behavior mm. because I don't feel like you've been accountable responsible for the learning and I feel like human-centered design puts you above the line okay it makes you accountable you're responsible um you look for the opportunities um yeah that's and, and that's what I feel yeah, it's silo designing a little, not a little, a lot. <laughs> when mm -hmm. you're, um, yeah, not not considering human centered design. Um, yeah, I don't know. So, what can you explain the above the line below the below line? the line? Yeah, sure. So above, so below the line is when you make excuses or you blame someone or yeah, okay. or it's called orbed. Um, um, deny. Um, so I feel like if I didn't use human centered design, mm. I don't have permission. I can't make excuses or blame anyone or anyone but myself because I haven't sought the answers. I've just designed it on my own. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yep. Whereas if I'm human centered design, 
I've, I've been accountable and look for opportunities to help, you know, make things better for them. And, um, and I, the responsibility is on me, you know, to, to make sure that the learner can learn. Mm. Yeah, I feel like human-centered design takes you above the line instantly, just from the practice, from the process. That's pretty cool. Mm. Wow. Um, what would you say were the benefits of coming? Because I know you did the IDEO course uh, for human-centered design to begin with. Yeah. So you had a flavor for it before and you kind of got it. What was the benefits of learning with us in the cohort? Yeah, the absolutely. Design stuff? The IDEO is um, innovation. It's open. It could be anyone in my group. So it's not just L&D practitioners. Um, which was, it was great, but it didn't have as many aha moments as what I did when I was actually honing in on my own profession. And that's what mm. um, this, your course, the Human Centered Design course gave me a chance to really focus on what is it that I do and how can I, you know, be better in that yep. role. And so, um, and it was, and your how you tailored the activities and the templates, it was a massive you know, start uh, like to to see that all happen. You know mm. how how it works. Um, yeah, the idea one. Um, yeah, you get the toolkit, you get everything like you, but there was just no. I couldn't make the links as quick. Mm. Yeah, it mm. wasn't contextual. I because I did it. That was one of my early tastes into it, and where the kind of love came from it, and then it was like we as a team figuring out how do we apply it as an mm. L&D professional and do mm. training and employee experience. And mm. I guess what you're describing is the contextualization yes. of human-centered mm. design to mm. our industry. As I said, I really enjoyed it, but yeah, I, yeah, I did, wasn't able to bring it back to my role as easily as what I did with you. Mm. Mm. Very cool. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Okay. I feel like this is uh absolutely like incredibly detailed insight into a really good instructional design process you've talked about having clear goals you've talked about the value of co-creating and not having not being the only person as an instructional designer with the responsibility to come up with the training solution that you can involve subject matter experts and even how you've described who a subject matter expert is I think will be quite um, eye-opening for a lot of people to consider who they bring in to co-create and the value as well you've demonstrated Mm -hmm. quite well the value of co-creating a solution and the impact that that then has out on the world so thank you so much for sharing your process with the people that watch and listen really really grateful Thank you. <laughs> oh, it's really good. Um, yeah, just wow. I think for anyone listening, like there are very clear milestones in Anietta's process. And if you re-watch them, you'll be able to get your own framework and then start slotting in what are the activities that I want to do within each of these milestones to then move you towards how do you create the content? What does the content turn into putting it out into the world? And you'll really start tweaking and refining and defining 
first of all, defining should it come in first. Um, <laughs> defining, <laughs> refining your instructional design process. So thank you for role modeling what a useful and good instructional design process looks like. And I, I'm sure it will be valued by many people that are trying to figure that out for themselves. Thank you. That's great. Cool. All right. Thank you everyone for watching. Do your homework, get your process sorted um, and keep it there as like a shopping list to sort of, it's not a linear process as Anyeta has described. It's about what is the activity right now that's going to help solve the particular thing that I'm working on, but do your homework. You will get, because it is a repeatable process, just sometimes you don't always use all 12 steps or all three steps that you've come up with, but you will create better solutions. Thanks for watching. Please share it. Give us love in whatever way that looks like. Um, by us, I mean Belvista Studios, but also Anyeta to say, you have changed my life by this podcast. Thanks everyone. Peace out. What's up, awesome human? Thank you, thank you, thank you on behalf of myself and the Belvista Studios team for continuously choosing to learn with us. We really appreciate it. If the tips and the insights and the context resonate with you and you want to take your skills to the next level or you want to make your life way easier, you will love our Creator Hub. The Creator Hub is a place for people like you and us. Basically, it's the stuff that we use internally at Bell Vista Studios and then we just share it publicly with you. The Creator Hub is created by instructional designers for instructional designers. And what you'll love there at the moment is we've got a quiz could I be a better instructional designer that has so much tips in the feedback if you're interested in human-centered design or just taking your skills to the next level in terms of the solutions you're creating and the problems you want to solve. But in there as well, aren't we cute? That's us. Um, but we've got the coaching courses, freebies, give us gratitude, and also we've got some templates. And basically they're always around the lens of learning experience design, instructional design, and e-learning. So a human-centered design focus is very much what we're about at Bell Vista Studio. So putting your learners at the heart of a solution and creating something for their needs. So there's the human-centered design stuff, and then we've also got the business stuff. So this is the stuff they don't teach you about when you want to become a freelancer or a consultant in the instructional design world. So go check it out. The link is in the description. You can check out everything that is available for you. Thank you for choosing to learn with us. Continuously invest in your skills. You will be rewarded as an instructional designer. Share this stuff, share it with other people because when we are better instructional designers, we create better solutions that create better humans that create a better world. So we have a very important role and I'm excited to be on this journey with you. Have an awesome day.